Hello, folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, a.k.a. Stephen Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visa blog and author of A Special Relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visaview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, dot blogspot, all one word, dot com. And procure a copy of that book and my other works at the Farm's official store, which is at thefarmpodcast.store. That is thefarmpodcast, all one word, dot store. And please consider signing up for the Farm's Patreon. You get two additional full-length shows per month. And that is only on the lowest tier. That's between three and four hours of bonus material, exclusive guests and content. All access patrons also have access to the farm's monthly Zoom party with exclusive presentations from yours truly and other guests, State of the Union addresses, updates on ongoing investigations I'm doing, and so much more. So definitely give that a thought as well, folks. All right. Today's guest was born and raised a devout Irish Catholic in New York City on the 40th parallel, no less, which will have significance as we go along. He studied physics at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and then enlisted in the army during the Vietnam era, where he was assigned to military intelligence as a German linguist and interrogator stationed with the 66th Military Intelligence Group in Munich. In 1976, he attended the University of Texas at Austin, eventually getting a bachelor's in physics and a BA in classics. There, he discovered the anthropology anthrotheosophical works of Rudolf Steiner and the theory of process of Arthur M. Young. In 1980, he moved to California where he trained at the Waldorf uh, School as a Waldorf teacher at the Rudolf Steiner College in Sacramento. And in 1981, he became forever friends with Arthur Young in Berkeley. In 2000, he was awarded Arthur Young's and Dill's foundation for his accomplishments of integrating author's process ideals into his teaching of physics and chemistry at the East Coast Waldorf High School. In recent years, he has plunged deeply into the UFO rabbit hole, partly due to his links to help put off whom he has known since 1984, and partly due to his online interactions with Mr. Peter Lavenda, which began in 2006. And somehow, he finds time to function as a cat butler. Folks, I give you guys the legend, Tom Mellon. Tom, thank you so much for dropping by today, sir. Oh, thank you. Wonderful uh, uh, introduction. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, wow. Uh, I have quite a biography, mainly because I'm I'm 74 years old already. So yeah, there's a lot a lot to cover there. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm I'm so happy to uh, to be here. I I never expected to be. Uh, you know, uh, uh, speaking as a speaker on the, the farm here, because uh, I've listened to so many, but uh, here I am. So uh, let's take it away. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on. And uh, yeah, certainly we would all hope to have such a uh, full length biography by the age of 74. Certainly. <laughs> uh, that just tells me you've lived a very full life, sir. And that is always inspiring. All right. Thank you. All right, so for today's outing, Tom and I are taking a deep dive into the history of new th- of the New Thought Movement. Many of you listeners out there are probably aware of this as the quote-unquote secret, a concept Rhonda Byron uh, revived from New Thought with her you know, famous work, The Secret. It's a notion that's been around for a very long time, however, but began to gain serious traction in the West during the various Great Awakenings or rediscovered, depending upon one's point of view in that regard. 
We're going to explore how this came about before focusing on one particular sect that has had a considerable, if low acknowledged, influence on New Thought. Mormonism. Is New Thought an offshoot of Mormonism? And how are these ideologies shaping the UFO disclosure movement today? These are questions, all these questions and so much more shall be addressed in that outing. So on that note, let us start the show. Okay, Tom, so you first became aware of this uh, thread of New Thought and Mormonism during your studies of Skinwalker Ranch, ironically, and the rogues gallery of uh, characters that have appeared there. So first off, take us through the Mormon ties to Skinwalker. Okay, well, uh, the uh, new owner of Skinwalker Ranch, of course, is Brandon Fugel. Uh, you know, uh, it was... Um, uh, you know, a Mormon, a very prosperous Mormon. And uh, uh, he, uh, what I noticed in, in the, uh, the T, well, let's just focus on the TV program because there's, a, <laughs> we could do a whole other show on, on, on Fugel's exploits alone, but uh, that he uh, has financed, he, he's the owner of Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. And he's, of course, uh, bankrolled this uh, History Channel series uh, with the title, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. So there it is in the title. Uh, this secret, not to be confused with Peter Lavenda's secret machines uh, uh, or uh, uh, other things. So, so uh, I noticed that uh, Brandon... Fugel uh, has uh, one of the, the uh, uh, characters on the show is uh, Bryant Arnold, who's nicknamed Dragon. And uh, he's the head of security at Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, and uh, it turns out that he and uh, Dragon and Brandon were together back in 93, uh, doing their two year Mormon missionary service in Hawaii, you know, and, and uh, I've seen a photo of them with their white shirts and bicycles. So uh, anyway, so here they are 30 years later. Uh, I feel like they're doing their they're still doing their Mormon missionary work, uh, although they wouldn't describe it as that. 
Uh, then I noticed the characters who were also part of the crew, that the chief scientist is Eric Bard, who uh, a physicist with a PhD from, where else? Brigham Young University. Uh, and, uh, you know, and other characters, they all uh, are Mormons to some degree. And the, the, the only non-Mormon on the show was this, their scientist, uh, engineer, uh, uh, go-to guy who was an outsider, and that's Travis Taylor. Now, Travis Taylor is another uh, uh, veteran of, uh, of reality shows. Uh, he is the, uh, he is the, um, uh, what is it? The rocket, the Re <coughs> rocket city, rocket scientist, rocket city rednecks was a show. He's from Alabama. And he's got his degree in Auburn, but he's got like uh, two PhDs in engineering from the uh, uh, University of Alabama Huntsville. So he's truly a rocket scientist and a good old boy. And uh, so uh, at first I thought, well, is this, he's the non-Mormon and he's the focus in a way of, of the, the scientist who explains everything or, or, or uh, organizes the, the, the data that they they collect and at first I wondered if this is are they uh, are they trying to like to convert him to Mormonism or uh, you know at least to their point of view uh, but then uh, it turns out that uh, Travis himself uh, what um, back in I don't know maybe 2007 whenever uh, 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 he watched the uh, Oprah that had the uh, uh, the episode with the, the secret, the movie, I guess, had just had come out. And uh, he got all excited about this. And he became uh, uh, so excited that he wrote a book called The, Sci uh, the Science Behind the Secret. And it uses the very same cover that Rhonda Byrne used for her, you know, the secret book. So so this real I said, wow, this is really amazing because. Now, uh, the secret, uh, Rhonda Byrne herself says, well, I was inspired to write the secret because I read this book in nine, uh, by Wallace Wattles in 1910 called uh, The Science of Getting Rich or How to Get, I think it's How to Get Rich. And so I looked at this and, and, and so uh, Wattles uh, is a figure uh, in the New Thought movement in the, in the late uh, 1800s, which uh, was the, uh, uh, well, that was the, uh, the third great awakening. We'll, we'll get to that later. But, uh, uh, and so Wattles uh, had these ideas of, uh, of getting rich through the power of the mind. Uh, <clears throat> but then there was another uh, influence of the secret, uh, I think of the movie, who was a uh, another figure of that time called, uh, uh, I think, William uh, Atkinson. And he is the one who actually used the term law of attraction. Although I find I found out that the law of attraction itself was was uh, wrote, written about uh, by someone in the 1850s. And then also by uh, 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 who was the guy of um, uh, Prentice Mulford. Uh, who was an, an American. So anyway, all this is, is swirling around. 
uh, and so this is New Thought. And who is the originator of New Thought? Uh, but is Phineas uh, P. Quimby. So now, uh, so I go back to Quimby, and then I said, well, there's the Mormon angle, and that's of course goes back to Joseph Smith, and this is where I really got. Uh, uh, I guess this is what really pulled me down the rabbit hole because uh, the sort of the synchronicity in time, and let's call it the synchropinquity in space of of these the, Joseph Smith and uh, uh, Phineas Quimby, because both of them uh, are born within three years and within 15 miles of each other. Uh, uh, Phineas Quimby is born in 1802 in Lebanon, New Hampshire, uh, just on the border with Vermont. And Joseph Smith is born in Sharon, Vermont uh, uh, in 1805, uh, just you know, th uh, th three years later. And then uh, to, uh, to, throw, <laughs> to throw this in from, uh, which I got from listening to Mark's uh, talk on about New Haven and the and the Ivy League college, the colleges. Well, it turns out that uh, uh, four miles northwest of uh, of Lebanon, New Hampshire, is Hanover, which is where Dartmouth College is. So we've got an Ivy League college right there. <clears throat> so uh, so then that, but I got really excited about well, if they were, you know, they were born so close in in uh, in uh, space and time. And then, of course, Joseph Smith moved, and his family moved to New York State. And then Quimby, eventually, his family, they moved to, uh, I think, Belfast, Maine. So they, they separated. But, uh, but that juxtaposition uh, of their births uh, it really uh, uh, impressed me. So I, that's when I decided, well, what is it about this new thought? So if Travis is influenced by new thought and Brandon Fugel by Mormonism, uh, you know, what do they have in common and, uh, you know, uh, or how do they differ? So, uh, and then, and I think, I don't know, then I think I, I got in touch with you about this, I think. Yeah, and I'm glad you did. It's uh, certainly a fascinating topic. Um, well, before we get uh, too far into the history of, the, uh, of these two movements, let's get a little bit into the uh, philosophy, yeah, philosophical um strands that are running behind them here so to your mind or in your kind of interpretation of this you see it as being a question of spirit and uh the material and how these two separate ideologies approach both it's kind of uh fundamental to how they you know part company in a sense so yeah. what's your take on this okay well uh it i said well how did how do these how do these two differ or uh, it uh and uh, I just thought of, uh, well, we have spirit and matter, right? Uh, we have spiritualism, which, you know, comes, really comes to the fore in the, in the uh, out of this new thought, I think, too. And then there's materialism. But uh, I first thought of it, well, uh, think of it in terms of, you know, uh, chemistry or change of state of, of objects, right? You start with a solid and then you add heat, it melts to a liquid. You boil a liquid into, into steam and it becomes a gas, right? So that's, so you start with the material and you, you spiritualize it, you, 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 you make it less dense and it becomes more spiritual. On the other hand, you could start with the steam 
uh, and then uh, go the other way, take the heat out of it, and it condenses, uh, on, you know, into a, a liquid water, and then it uh, uh, it freezes to solid ice. So I saw it as a, a difference in direction, and the idea that uh, well, uh, looking at Mormonism, uh, when I looked at uh, you know, well, what do Mormons believe? And so this is, you know, coming from the far, the, the far end. And uh, it struck me that, well, they see God the Father as someone who was a human being before, and then he became divine. And that even the, 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 the G, uh, Jesus and the Holy Spirit or whatever, that they, beca- uh, they were all men first. And, that, and then the, the Mormon idea of the uh, each, everybody having a planet. Well, this struck me as, well, it's like they are starting with the material, the materialist part, and then they are spiritualizing it. They're, so they are, uh, in a sense, uh, spiritual materialists. Uh, although uh, I guess that might have different philosophical connotations, but I think it, they, they, they want, they spiritualize matter, but they start with uh, the uh, uh, the, the earthly and the, the practical. Uh, whereas, uh, if you look at, at New Thought and uh, uh, Phineas Quimby, especially, that they like start with the spiritual as the highest. And then how do we attract or condense the spirit and draw it down into the material? So it just seemed that, that that's a, 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 a di- opposite directions of the same uh, uh, to, uh, between two poles, you know, you can either, uh, start from one and go to the other and, and vice versa. What I thought of with, uh, that's when I really, uh, got into, uh, uh, looking at Phineas Quimby that, well, the two, the two important things that Quimby brought. Well, do you want me, do you want to go into, um, um, the first great awakening here before we get into Quimby first, uh, because obviously, you know, the kind of waves of Great Awakenings influenced both of these. I mean, New Thought and Mormonism obviously were more of a result of the Second Great Great Awakening. But um, uh, both, I'm sorry, yeah. you couldn't have really have had, obviously, the Second Great Awakening without the First Great Awakening. Um, and especially the German influence that would weigh heavily on uh, some of the latter ones. Yeah, so it... So, uh, specifically, so I'm about pietism here. So do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, okay, well... Yeah, because this is yeah. Let's look about the context of this. Uh, both Smith and 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 Quimby are in the what's called the Second Great Awakening, a religious revival in the you know in uh, mainly in in this in the states. Uh, the First Great Awakening was in uh, in the colonies before the Revolutionary War, more more like a 1730s to uh, 1750s, and you know figures that. Uh, like uh, Jonathan Edwards and or George Whitehurst are a uh, figure in that. But if I, uh, I'll just briefly uh, bring that back, but that itself was uh, uh, really inspired by the pietist movement in Germany, which in turn, we have to go all the way back and let's go, I'll just stop at the source of this, which is Martin Luther, <laughs> right? Uh, Cause this is a German Lutheran thing. And uh, so Martin Luther, begins uh, the reformation in the 1500s and his his motto was just sola fide it's it's only faith you know like uh, 
we could do the Beatles, you know, all you need is faith all together now. Lasted on, uh, until, I guess, the, uh, well, I don't know, maybe the late 1500s. But anyway, by the early 1600s, there's a reaction against the, uh, uh, well, it, uh, the, the theologians and, the, and, the, and the, the, the pastors who were studying, you know, developing Lutheran, they were more uh, uh, scholastics. They were only interested in the, the doctrines and the, and the divine, the laws and things. And uh, the, the people, the, the, you know, the, the people interested in Mormonism were, were they, they didn't like this intellectual uh, stuff. So, uh, so what started is this uh, uh, movement of pietism, which is that we should be, uh, develop, uh, we should develop our lives uh, to emulate Christ, it should come from the heart and not from the from the scholastic stuff. Now, the <clears throat> what I see here too is that this is individualizing. This is putting the focus on individual experience of religion of the Bible, uh, rather than uh, waiting for uh, a higher priestly elite to do that. And even uh, even the if not a priestly elite, a theological elite. So this was a real democratizing movement and also developing the individuality uh, through, uh, oh, this is my, uh, uh, my experience is what is important in, 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 re in religion. And uh, I think there was a figure in the late 1600s called uh, 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 Philip Spainer who, who uh, you know, developed the idea of having uh, people having uh, groups together for Bible study. So the, the pietist movement, and then of course it had more radical offshoots, which, uh, which really lays the basis for you know, uh, uh, evangelical Christianity and the Pentecostalism. But this one, the, the, the pietist movement, the, the, the more conservative one just developed uh, in, against the uh, scholasticism of, Luther, of Luther's uh, followers. Wait, what century are we in here? Sixty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because the uh, the pietists spread and and uh, uh, and like you met, um, up into uh, into Sweden and that's it affected Swedenborg and uh, but it was really responsible for uh, when it comes over to America the colonists over there are uh, and this was the first great awakening and uh, of this experiential Christianity and so this this figure this. A preacher from England comes over named, I think, is George White Whithurst, Whitfield, Whitefield or Whitfield, George Whitfield. And he is like a, a Billy Graham figure. I mean, he he is preaching in the, this is the mid 1700s. He comes to America and uh, uh, is is preaching uh, and he and he's bringing people together. He has like a, a camp revivals, people people are gathering in the, in the in camps out in the woods so this lays the basis for i think what they call the the, the first great awakening and then another, the, the Jonathan Edwards is a an american figure who uh, really was another another preacher who you know who really rallied the the colonists and uh, now remember at the same time the colonists are, are imbibing the sort of enlightenment ideas like from John Locke and the political uh, uh, ideas of freedom and independence, and uh, 
And so in a way, I think it, it the, the first great awakening may have been uh, uh, united the, uh, the, the colonists and uh, I think uh, indirectly paved the way for the Revolutionary War to come later. So, yeah. So anyway, but if you just see this uh, uh, line, you know, from Luther uh, and then the pietism is a reaction against Luther. And then it, it, it comes to the first great awakening and then the Revolutionary War and then the second great awakening. Uh, is more the the uh, uh, the time of Joseph Smith and 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 Quimby. Uh, well, it's it's also interesting though because I mean I think Pietism is kind of an interesting or it's I mean really I think the major uh, bridgeway in a lot of ways between the latter kind of period with Joseph Smith and New Thought. So I mean obviously I mean it did have a tremendous influence on mainline uh, Protestantism. But uh, in a lot of ways, it was equally important in mystical uh, Christian threads. Uh, one that I had just recently kind of uncovered um, uh, yesterday before I was, uh, uh, or while I was doing some prep for this show, was the uh, ties that it had to um, was variously known as the Bohemian Brethren or the Moravian Church. Uh, one of the big figures in it by the uh, mid 18th century was a Count uh, Nicholas von Zippendorf, who was very interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is the church in the UK, by the way, that William Blake's uh, parents belonged to, the famous poet and uh, painter and so forth. And there was certainly a lot of speculation that they had arcane um, practices. In fact, there has been some compelling arguments made that they did practice a kind of proto form of uh, sex magic. Uh, it's interesting to note that several of the high church officials at this point were also ranking figures in the British East India Company and were among the first um, Britons to actually write about tantric rituals that they had observed in India proper. So they were actually some of the first Westerners to see the um the actual practice uh in india and uh potentially had brought some of it over to this peculiar sect that uh, grew out of pietism but this you know was not like the beginning of kind of the moravian churches uh crossover with this i mean earlier the bohemian brethren several key figures have been linked with the initial russia crucian movement and so forth um, and that kind of brings up another point. I mean, pietism could be seen as an influence on things like Rosicrucianism and Swedenborg, for that matter, as well. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of interesting characters that can kind of be linked to that in sort of the mystical threads of Christianity. So what are your thoughts on that, Tom? Okay, well, let's uh, let's do some uh, history nerdling here. Because uh, uh, you mentioned the uh, Moravian Church in Zinzendorf, but... Uh, this brings up one other thing too i'll point out for you guys listening um the moravians was have been embraced by a lot of occult groups too in fact they had their um agape fests their love fests uh, which quickly later uh, adopted into the oto and so forth of course i should point out the moravians it wasn't like an actual orgy at least as far as we know it was yeah. more where they sat around and ate a lot of food and uh drank a lot of liquor and so forth but uh yeah that whole agape concept kind of came out of the moravian uh, church yeah well that's yeah good because uh all right yeah you handle the occult angle and i'll uh, just uh because when you mentioned moravia well, let's go back to the was Moravia is this sort of uh, section of eastern Czechoslovakia, and then the Bohemia is the the western part, right? But uh, actually, if that goes back to the uh, 
let's say the precursor of uh, uh, or, or a, a a protester before Luther, who was is it John Hus or John, Jan Hus, H U S, right? Who was uh, uh, from that? Uh, I think he was. Well, was he from Bohemia? But he was two centuries before Luther, and uh, and so he had uh, right the Bohemian. That's I think the start of the Bohemian Brotherhood, and uh, uh, and then uh, the, the Moravians, uh, and so that's two centuries or so before uh, uh, Luther. But to get to the Rosicrucian aspect. Uh, one of the figures uh, who comes in, in in the early 1600s, again, the the, the beginning of the the, the Pietism, uh, is uh, uh, right. Uh, what's his uh, JVA Johannes Valentinus Sandria, right, who wrote the uh, the Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz, and uh, but he was a German and a Lutheran. And he he starts around the early 1600s, and uh, um, and those uh, those uh, the, the the three publications that supposedly established the Rosicrucians uh, in in is uh, connected with uh, Andrea and his his group who were who were Lutherans and who were developing their form of Pietism. Uh, incorporating uh let's say the uh, amos comenius or who were the other the, the leaders of uh, oh yeah i believe comenius was also involved with the bohemian brethren later if i'm not yeah. mistaken oh, that, yeah, that, that was later but yeah the point i'm getting at is that uh, you've got uh <clears throat> yeah I, uh, of course some people believe that well the rosicrucians started with andrea there uh and uh you know uh and just in, incorporated all this stuff from the past, you know, the Neoplatonism and all uh, uh, that. Uh, <clears throat> but be that as it may, he's still a figure at the beginning of the of the Pietist movement. Uh, and then, curiously enough, we have the thirty. What the Thirty Years' War starts in sixteen eighteen and goes to what to sixteen forty eight. So <laughs> we have another war happening here. Uh, and by and the it, way, I should I should probably point out too the Thirty Years' War was just it was a really pivotal war because this is what ultimately brought about the Westphalian peace, which led to the um, basically the foundation of the modern nation state as we know it. And, you know, with the notion yeah. of like a central government and standing armies and all this other good stuff, and it was also instrumental in formally um, you know inst you know institutionalizing the Industrial Revolution and all this other good stuff. Well. But um, yeah, wow. it, yeah, was, it was big for I mean social reform throughout Europe. And after this, I mean, a curious uh, figure. You make me think of uh, someone who was born in at the sixteen sixty mid sixteen sixties was William William Penn and the Quakers, uh, who end up going. You know uh, uh, that, that uh, and think of the modern day Quakers, <laughs> like all the way down to to Ruth Hyde Payne. But that's a whole other subject uh oh but, my gosh have you ever been you've been to dc right 
not well, not in a while, but in a long. Uh, uh, if you ever go to Dupont Circle, it's very interesting because they've got that big Quaker memorial there, and then it's like right next to it is like the Society of Cincinnati headquarters and the Cosmos Club and um, yeah. <laughs> some other very interesting buildings. Um, <laughs> the Quakers are another group that probably should be considered more yeah, some of right. the political influences in this country. <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, uh, you, you mentioned Swedenborg. Swedenborg's uh, father, I think, was a was a very strong uh, Pietist because uh, the Pietism had spread up into Scandinavia by this time, and then uh, so I think that that's what <coughs> uh, heavily influenced Swedenborg was the the, the Pietism, uh, you know, in, in his day. Well, if there, there's one other thing I would kind of like to interject here right quick. One, you know, sort of scarlet thread that runs through a lot of these more mystical groups that were sort of offshoots of the Pietists, the Rosicrutans, the Swedenborgians, the uh, Bohemian Brethren, um, is the whole process that was kind of derived from Neoplatonism that would be obviously be known as scrying or angel magic or you know oh, yeah. the ascension and the dissension through the heavenly spheres uh, with your consciousness um obviously there were a lot of groups participating in this um Kamenatis, i believe uh you you just mentioned was another one who was known for doing this obviously the most famous practitioner of this during this era i.e the 16th century would have been john d and edward kelly in the yeah. uk i mean through this process this is how they got the uh the famous indokian uh keys but there were a lot of different approaches to it like i said this is a practice that had been uh, used ever since antiquity, probably going back to Egypt, you know, if not sooner, um, but had survived in various incarnations and had really been taken up much more um, by various elites uh, after the collapse yeah. of the Roman Empire and, uh, you know, the return of some of the knowledge from Byzantium. But basically, it's, you know, it's interesting because in this sort of notion, you know, you are, um, in the classical sense, ascending through the heavenly spheres, the different planets, and there you, you know, encounter the archetypes of these planets and so forth. So in a sense, it, it's almost like a nucleus of like an ancient astronaut faith, which I think is something that's kind of important to point out here going forward as we yeah. do get into the Second Great Awakening of Mormonism, because again, Mormonism derived from the same techniques, this kind of process of angel magic. So yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's a very interesting aspect of this, and I think kind of cuts to the heart of why you see Mormons with such a keen interest in ufology. But okay, so let's let's get on into the Second Great Awakening. So okay, well, yeah, actually, I was just going to say because when you get to Quimby, Quimby will sweep aside everything that you brought up about the angels or all, all this magic. All right, all right. Well, let's get into the Quimbley then. We're let's get into him in the Second Great. Uh, Awakening. And but I, you give me this vision of uh, the because <laughs> you know Joseph Smith did his scrying into a, a big white top hat, and it was like. Uh, the had the scrying stone inside and, and it would so it it reminded me hey this was like the first uh, virtual reality goggles <laughs> you know well, it's, uh, it's kind of funny you say that too because then i mean you know when you look at the the because there were the three russia crucian manifestos two of them were what uh andre referred to as what lubriums or something like that games for the curious oh ludibrium ludibriums yes yes yeah, yes ludibrium. they were 
yeah. they're you know basically kind of proto alternate reality games and then the yes. third one the chemical yes. wedding is uh this sort of scrying manual for it so yeah and he said a ludibrium the the word in latin means uh uh what is it it's a it can be a mockery or a, a laughing stock or a it, it, it's very strong on the the, the connotations of, of mockery and uh, and uh, you know uh, making fun of something uh, a, a ludibrium ludus is a game but ludibrium is the uh, sort of uh, mockery and and and, and <coughs> uh, laughing style. or maybe it, it you know it, it could be like uh, we would say today uh, you know a LARP <laughs> right it's a uh, it's just, uh, we're just playing at this. Uh, so it's kind of uh, like, yeah, I mean, another, it's, it's again, it's uh, just kind of interesting to point out in the context of Mormonism, because it's like, you do sort of have like kind of the high Mormonism, and then you have this sort of kitsy, um, <laughs> like a uh, bizarre archaeological, like history, uh, perennial philosophy, like aspect of it. Yeah. So well, let's, yeah, well, let's get into Quimby because All right, let's go with Quimby. this, he makes a break with that and that and that to me is, is what the big takeaway i have for this is that he establishes a very specifically american form of spiritualism or spirituality uh that is to condense into uh the material and it does away with or it, it doesn't need any of the 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 ain't the magic of the angels uh, etc because um so let's yeah let's talk about so Quimby uh, Phineas Quimby is you know he's born in uh, you know in Lebanon New Hampshire and then uh, goes over to uh, lives over in in Maine uh, and when uh, well I guess the when he I guess when he was about thirty he he was influenced by uh, uh, someone about, because we have to talk about Franz Anton Mesmer uh, and mesmerism. And the idea that uh, <clears throat> there is a power of the mind, uh, that that's, that's really what uh, the, the, uh, Quimby uh, felt when he, he studied mesmerism. He says, there's something here about the power of the human mind uh, that I, I want to investigate. Now, he also had a, uh, an ailment in his back and a, there was a young man, uh, Lucian, Lucius, somebody, uh, a young man who was like, uh, said he was going to cure uh, uh, Quimby's back problems uh, just by touching, uh, you know, touching his back. And uh, he, he was like, uh, and, and, it, and it worked, whatever worked. And then that's, that's what Quimby realized. Well, this is, uh, oh my God, you know, I, I've been healed. And uh, this this young guy, uh, Lucian, he actually, uh, in some way, he can read my mind uh, that and that because Quimby was formulating the idea that, well, illness is 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 a is something that is uh, it, it's formed in the mind and therefore it can be healed with the mind. What Quimby developed, uh, there was a, a lot of belief in the in the in, in cures, substances and, and weird practices like uh, uh there was one that uh, that was taught. Well, if you uh, uh, have this certain ailment, well, you go out and kill a rat and skin it, and while it's still warm, you put it on your earlobe, and that will 
will cure it. And uh, what what Quimby realized, he said, wait, it's not the it's not this uh, prescription or the substance. It's the belief in the substance. It's the belief that counts. And so that's really, I think, the, that's really the pioneering uh, insight uh, of new thought is that it's the that it's independent of the substance or the prescriptions that were given, uh, you know, medicines or these weird, you know, home remedies or whatever they call them. But the second insight was that this is the power of the human mind and there's no need to invoke uh, spirits or, or uh, souls of the dead or angels or any of that. Uh, and that I think is where he makes the break with uh, the pet all anything to do with, with the occult, because he said, the, the, the focus is on the power of the human mind. And so this is a, in a way, a, 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 a protest in a way, a reformation of the, of the Neoplatonism and, and all that you talk about as the occult. Uh, and, and so I think it's these two factors that it's the power of belief and it's only for, it's only the human mind uh, that I think sets up uh uh, well, ultimately, self-esteem or narcissism later on, but but there's no need for the the spiritual beings, and there's no need for the substances. So it's all in the mind, and the the human mind has the power. Uh, so yeah, so really, that I think is what what establishes Quimby as the the pioneering uh, pioneer of new thought. Well, let's digress here for a moment from the Great Awakenings, okay. um, just to kind of point out here, you know, we've already alluded to it a bit, but uh, to get into this again, the American Revolution, the War of 1812 kind of served as a backdrop for the Second Great Awakening, the Thirty Years' War for the First Great Awakening. The Third Great Awakening emerged after around the time frame of the American Civil War, while the Fourth uh, kind of had its foundation laid after World War II and then going into the Vietnam era. So, Tom, like, what role do you see war is playing in these developments? Yeah. And it seems to be. Yeah, that was just, uh, I don't fully really know because I just noticed that it seems that the Great Awakenings occur between these great wars, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and uh, and I think with the first Great Awakening that uh, I can see it more with, with the uh, the democratization of uh uh, community experience with the, with the revivals, with the camp meetings, and all this. That I think this developed a solidarity among the colonists. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, I'm really not not well versed in the in the history, but I think it, it may have actually helped indirectly, uh, you know, toward the colonists, uh, uh, you know, gaining enough uh, self esteem, as it were, as a as a group that they could. Uh, overthrow and they you know uh, and then of course uh, it, it, the other side is that if you after a great war you know there's tremendous trauma and this recovery and then that may inst instigate the awakening the next awakening you know so the, the awakening happens and then it, it runs its course and then it uh, a war happens and then you know uh, it interrupts it and then the getting over the trauma of the war introduces the next phase of awakening. I mean, just might be a, you know, I see it in waves in a way. 
yeah, who knows? I mean, I've even thought, uh, is this a, a since 2017? Are we in 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 some like the second great awakening of of ufology <laughs> because of social media? Yeah, it does kind of feel like we are entering into another uh, period of great awakening. Yeah. And. And another and other an interesting aspect of that is in the second great awakening. What's the difference between that and the first? Well, the the second great awakening uh, at this at this time, if we, it's the early 1800s, uh, say uh, the first half of the 19th century, 1800 to 1840 or so. Well, what do you have? You have the in, uh, expansion of the westward expansion made possible by the building of the railroads and the steam engine and the building of the Erie Canal. Uh, and so suddenly, like in the first awakening, people were, it was largely, uh, uh, you know, focused in New England or yeah, New England. Uh, but now you've got uh, the transportation uh, and then people are, uh, are meeting uh, strangers, you're, you're, you're right. Whereas before, you're you're only meeting people in your in your you know your in the neighboring farm and in the little community you have. But now you're meeting strangers through, uh, and how do you know you can trust them? So I think a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the religious movement was like how uh, how can we. Uh, uh, people need to behave themselves so that when you meet a stranger, you can trust them. Right. So so uh, uh, so uh, good Christian behavior, I think, started to spread all, all over the country uh, in the country that, of course, is, is spreading west. That made me realize, well, that's like kind of the medium is the the message. Right. Uh, there it was transportation. And because uh, I was thinking of uh, my own life in, uh, you know, I was introduced to ufology really by Arthur Young in the late 80s when he uh, got got you know, like the, the Billy Meyer material. Uh, and, and of course that was, there was no, no internet at that time. And, and then when I think about it now, you know, well, with the uh, uh, ufology today, you know, everyone is, well, you know, look at this Billy Meyer hoax. Instantly you can show that Billy Meyer hoaxed these photographs and everything. But at the time, Arthur wasn't interested in the craft. He just, he was interested in the message because he felt it, it sort of validated his theory of process. But so what I'm getting at is that the, the, the cultural and environment also affects uh, the, the, the kind of awakening you have. Well, yeah, because it's, it's really interesting, like you're saying, the first and second great awakenings are really more kind of like regional phenomena, whereas like yeah. the third one was a national one and the fourth one was really kind of a bona fide global um, awakening. So if we are in the period of a fifth great awakening, it's, uh, I think, going to be a truly global one. Yeah, or, or intergalactic. I mean, that's maybe that's the whole lesson of ufology is that it's, uh, you know, or interdimensional. <laughs> yeah, I mean, see, I was brought up, uh, you know, I loved uh, McLuhan and his global village, uh, right? Well, now we're, you know, with the uh, the the, uh, the Hubble telescope and what's the new one, the uh, ba uh, the new telescope. It's like, well, we're 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 the whole universe, we're, 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 you know, uh, and that I think is it's interesting because uh, the message of to the stars is uh, it, I said, isn't this the same 
old uh, kind of imperialists or colonialism. You know, we want to, you know, maybe get off the earth. And uh, you talk about breakaway civilizations, that there's this impulse to explore the heavens where back, you know, uh, 600 years ago, Columbus was getting ready to explore across the ocean. So, uh, but that same impulse of like uh, uh, wanting to explore. So maybe the, uh, to me, the fifth, fifth great awakening may be the ufology because of its uh, uh, galactic scale or its universal scale. I mean, literally universe, not just universe as a, uh, you know, a catch-all, but uh, the, you know, uh, our perspective is 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 now the universe. So that's that's what I think really is what ufology is all about. And why? Uh, so yeah, maybe this maybe this is the fifth great awakening and that we're in it. We're we're in it, and we're just like uh, uh, because we're in it, it's hard to uh, get outside it and 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 see what it is. Yeah, well, that's always the uh, trick, you know, when you are in the midst of uh, great uh, global upheaval and change is uh, recognizing it for such and also um, coming up with coherent alternatives to the old way of doing things that are increasingly outdated. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I guess before we get too far afield here, uh, also a new thought, it really, you know, in earnest got going during the Third Great Awakening. And there were two yeah. in this era that loomed large in its latter development. One is a certain William Walker Atkinson. Atkinson, yeah. So what is his story, Tom? Okay, well, Atkinson, uh, I, I brought him up because he was the influence. He wrote the um, a book uh, that mentioned the law of attraction that Rhonda Byrne, uh, uh, another book that Rhonda Byrne re read. And, and, and then uh, uh, somebody else did the f film, I think, uh, some other figure. Uh, so the two figures are, are, are this guy, uh, uh, Atkinson. Uh, now this is intriguing because he, he actually mentions the law of attraction. Uh, although the, the, word, the term law of attraction was first used, I think in the 1850s or 60s uh, by- uh, Was it uh, actually in the Emerald Tablets or no? What's that? Was it actually in the Emerald Tablets or no? Or was this when the actual the Emerald Tablets actually showed up? Um, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't. Yeah, you mean the, whether the law of attraction is in? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah I don't know. I don't know about that. But, uh, but the idea that the power of the mind can not only heal, uh, but it can you, you know it can draw energy from the universe uh, down to. Uh, uh, to help heal you and 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 prosper you as well. That's another that's another aspect. Uh, but uh, what what's interesting about William Walker Atkinson is uh, okay. So he was uh, writing. He was a prolific author, uh, and he had a, a, an alias, uh, one alias, which was like a, a, an English type alias, but. He also wrote many books under the name of uh, of uh, a Swami, not Swami, but it was a, a yogi. Uh, is it yogi? Ramacharaka. The reason he did this is because, well, this is late 1800s. Well, who's who's on the scene? Who's also involved in this? Uh, Madame Blavatsky is bringing uh, uh, 
the Eastern influence and the Hindu influence into through theosophy. And this is mixing into the, the, the new thought movement uh, at the time. And, uh, and there was great interest in the revival of Eastern wisdom. The Eastern wisdom is coming uh, to the West. And I think uh, Atkinson seized on that and, uh, and uh, be, uh, called himself, I, I don't know if it was Swami, I guess maybe it was Ramacharaka, if you ever see that, that name. Uh, now, the other guy was Wallace uh, Waddles, who wrote the book, uh, uh, How to, you know, Getting, Getting Rich. And that's what directly inspired Rhonda Byrne to write The Secret. Uh, but these two guys are actually sort of minor uh, or maybe like B-list uh, uh, figures because the, the real leader of the movement at that time was a woman named uh, Emma Curtis Hopkins, who was the teacher of, I think, uh, Waddles. Uh, and Emma, uh, in a way, is like the, uh, uh, she's sort of like, I, I, she could be like the Madame Blavatsky of the New Thought movement, uh, in that she was originally uh, healed by Mary Baker Eddy. She was originally part of Mary Baker Eddy's uh, uh, you know, Christian science movement, which in turn, uh, we bring that back. It was, it was Phineas Quimby who healed Mary Baker Eddy that inspired her to start the, you know, the, the whole movement of Christian science. Uh, it's, you know, and also too, if I could interject, there's also kind of a darker aspect to this as well. Um, Christian science would later play a tremendous role in influencing British Israeliism and, um, British Israelism, in turn, would have a tremendous influence on uh, Christian identity theology here in the United States. Um, the sort of notion that uh, white people are the biblical Jews, um, and that uh, the rest of uh, humanity are these kind of satanic forces, especially the Jews themselves. Uh, but then in turn, there's been a lot of overlap in the, uh, especially for the last couple of decades between Christian identity sex and fundamentalist Mormon sex, because again, this, yeah. it's not really knowledge. Mormonism probably had a bit of an influence in the development of Christian identity theology as well. So, um, and that, yeah, that influence could be due to the, uh, the, uh, Mary Baker Eddy was like, kind of like the really egotistical, even megalomaniacal because she, she, uh, she she actually claimed that she didn't get influenced by Quimby, and then she uh, uh, she took the church in her own. Uh, she she uh, isolated it to uh, uh, you know to her ideas about that it was Jesus Christ, and uh, she became very uh, dogmatic in that sense, and that's why Emma Curtis uh, Hopkins uh, broke away from. Uh, Mary Baccaretti in, in the in the 1870s, and, and she founded her own. Uh, she called it Christian Science, kind of like a school of theology in Chicago, or uh, but it was in in Chicago. And anyway, yeah, Mary Baccaretti was very uh, much a self-absorbed, uh, isolated figure, in you know, uh, and that's you can see that in you know Christian Science is just uh, it's like it's like impenetrable. It's it's too thick a bubble. <laughs> You can't get, you know, you're either in it or you're not. Uh, and uh, uh, Emma, Emma Curtis uh, uh, Hopkins uh, 
Well, she, uh, yeah, she taught many of the, uh, these figures. Um, oh, uh, like, uh, who was it? Char uh, well, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, who developed the Unity Church, right? Uh, and that's where the, the whole idea of not just health, but prosperity uh, can be achieved by the, the mind. And then uh, uh, one of her students was Warren Felt Evans, who uh, developed that it had to be very emotional. And he's the guy who developed speaking affirmations. By the way, uh, was this the, the Unity Church that um, Frank Lloyd Wright's family were uh, members of? For a lot of years yeah that's very yeah i'm not sure but that yeah it could very well be because charles and myrtle fillmore it they wrote a book called practical christianity and then uh uh and then i think the unity church formed the at least well by the time of the first world war i think it was is that around that time is when it was founded now, I think the first project Frank Lloyd Wright was commissioned for was to build a unity church for his aunts who were slash schoolhouse or something like that. Who oh, were figures in us. yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. But 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 yeah, so these these figures, um, the Fillmore's. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and I think the last student of Emmy, uh, Emma uh, Curtis. Uh, uh, Hopkins that she taught was uh, Ernest Holmes, right? Who brings us the, the Church of Science of Mind and Divine Science, right? That, that uh, there, there are a lot of churches. Uh, uh, in fact, my barber hairdresser in Burbank belongs to that that church, you know. And uh, uh, you know, he'll give me a haircut, and then we'll do a little like a, he'll give me a healing session <laughs> afterwards. So, uh, but yeah, Ernest Holmes was. Uh, one of those uh, figures. So yeah, anyway, so that's to me is what, uh, and the, the new thought is, is this with us in today with that, that power of, of positive thinking and, uh, but you see, it's, it's like the, the essence is the, the reality is the spirit. And we, uh, the secret is uh, use the law of attraction to attract the spirit down to the material. So you see, it's uh, coming from the, the 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 less dense to the more dense, right? Uh, and whereas with Mormonism, I I think with Joseph Smith, I I, I see it going the opposite. You know, uh, starting with the material and then conceiving of the spiritual in terms of the earthly. You know, which is what they do with the even uh, all the way to God. Uh, you know that. Uh, you know, so on the one hand, you've got the like the nebulous uh, view of uh, all is one. Uh, the spirit is, uh, you know, is vast. We, we can't grasp it. So we have to bring it down. Uh, but then it's like um, Joseph Smith and the Mormons project earthly conditions into the universe and into the heavens. And, and so heaven is conceived of as, as analogous to uh, what's on the earth. Well, do you, do you, uh, do you detect uh, any kind of Mormon influence in new uh, thought going back to Joseph Smith's uh, time? You, you're asking what new thought influence on Joseph Smith? Yes, 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 or vice versa. No, I don't, uh, no, I don't think so. I think he, he just went his own way. I, I, I think that's maybe that's... Uh, <clears throat> 
you know, he was just interested in the physical and he just, uh, uh, you know, went, he went West. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course this, see, I think both approaches, uh, they still conceive of, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Joseph Smith sees an angel Moroni. Uh, so there are those spiritual, but again, the angel, you know, blows a, tr uh, a trumpet. It's very, it's very down to earth and materialistic. Uh, it, it's, there's nothing nebulous about the angel Moroni, right. Uh, or these, 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 uh, spiritual beings because the, the Mormon, uh, uh, view is that they were, they started as humans or, uh, right. And, uh, where to advance, uh, yeah, like, the idea that God was once a man who lived on another planet uh, and, and Jesus was begotten by a physical union of God and Mary. <clears throat> and, and, you know, the idea that since God has a body of flesh and bones, he really had literal sex with Mary and, you know, Jesus comes out, he's part man and part God. So, so it's very heavily, you know, materialistic and, you know, <laughs> so it's very, you know, it's easy to, uh, uh see them practicing polygamy where you just don't get that idea with the with the uh the new thought people so yeah so that's where i think that, you know they diverge and and of course the new thought uh you know stays primarily in, in the east and then of course you know it spreads you know later uh, now it's spread all over but uh, uh so anyway so that seems to me uh if, if we bring it all the way up to uh, the brand of Fugle Mormon and, and uh, Travis uh, Taylor, the uh, new thought uh, guy. It, my sense is that uh, uh, Brandon is trying, it's, it's like some kind of amalgam of bringing them both together. Because uh, uh, I think Brandon is moving, uh, moving far beyond the Mormonism that he inherited uh, as a, you know, that he grew up with. And, uh, and so I think the, the, uh, well, let's call it, what's the word uh, syncretism, you know, this, the, 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 the combining of, of Mormonism with new thought is happening as we speak on Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting too, with Mormonism and new thought, because both of them are really kind of obsessed with, um, claiming this really ancient lineage i mean of course mormonism has this really elaborate cosmology uh linking yeah. the 12 tribes of israel and so forth but i mean as i it kind of alluded to before a lot of people in the new thought movement will insist that you know it's derived from the emerald tablets of hermes uh you know dating from you know yeah. ancient egypt and all this other stuff even though i mean i think in reality as you've uh, kind of alluded to here i mean new thought really is kind of a distinctly american form of mysticism whereas conversely yeah. mormonism actually can lay at least some claims to being a part of an ancient tradition with its you know kind of ties to neoplatonism through scrying and things like that and the kind of yeah. angel magic so uh but anyway i find that to be sort of fascinating especially when you sort of get into some of the you know notions with ancient astronaut theology and what have you yeah, and also uh, you reminded me of the the you know the Mormon uh, the Mormon influence. What, what was that the 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 science fiction the film 
<coughs> oh, Henry Hank, team, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and the uh, the the TV. I get. I think it was the TV series Battlestar Galactica because wasn't the movie. Uh, well, the updated one, I mean, had less of it in there, but yeah, the original series did. And then, of course, um, there's been quite a few uh, Mormon uh, sci-fi authors, too. The, uh, God, I can't remember his name. Yeah, uh, something behind Ender's Game was another one. Uh, yeah, was, yeah, to me, Mormonism, of all the organized religions uh, and cults around today, it seems the most uh, e uh, easily compatible with you, the uh, ufology or the, the idea that there are... Uh, and maybe again, the nuts, what, what do they call the ETA, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, the nuts and bolts, uh, you know, versus the, the interdimensional, right? Which is uh, maybe more, uh, uh, and I haven't really done the, the, the connection, but maybe there is something to uh, like uh, thinking of interdimensional beings, uh, you know, ultra terrestrials, uh, 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 that Hubbard talks about and Hal Putoff recently wrote a paper about. Uh, and, uh, and of course that would have to bring in demons, you know, and then, uh, including the, the old ones of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lovecraft and uh, Crowley. And then of course that would bring in, you know, Lavenda and, <laughs> and his writing for to the stars Academy, you know, for Tom DeLonge. Uh, but it could be that the, you know, you, because the ufology divides between the nuts and bolts crowd, you know the 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 sci and and then the uh, uh, the experiences who are more like the uh, they feel is like more interdimensional, uh, and then again there you have you know the materialistic and the spiritual, uh, and so we're conceiving of uh, it's interesting because I'm, I'm you know I wonder if. The conceiving of uh, use of the term aliens for ETs in ufology is, uh, you know, it's an upgrade of the of Columbus, uh, the aliens, uh, the native, the Americans he found in in the New World, uh, and who were you know who were exploited. But of course, we haven't done the uh, the exploring yet. We're just uh, on the, the case of the Mormon church, too, I mean, there's also obviously the role that um, <clears throat> Mormonism played in uh, manifest destiny and westward expansion in the country wow. as well. I mean, of course, the story of Mormon militia was a, a big part of how we were able to take over, or at least uh, finally clear out a lot of the Native Americans from large swaths of Utah and Nevada and California and several other regions. So, yeah. Uh, I kind of think that's another reason why there is specifically there seems to be a great interest in some of this breakaway civilization stuff. And I mean, that particular segment, there's always been that um, kind of colonial aspect. I mean, obviously, the religion was you know kind of born in that you know whole uh, milieu. So, I mean, it's to be expected. Yeah. All right. Uh, to wrap up, Tom, I wanted to get back to, into the woo-woo realm, at least maybe even a little more so than we've already been. So let's talk about the full okay. parallel. Yeah. Regular listeners of the farm or those who have caught me on some of the podcasts I've been on of late know that I've been really obsessed with this stuff. Uh, yeah. And that is specifically the 37th, the 39th, and the 42nd parallels. I've addressed these over the past couple of years. Tom, you picked up on a lot of things related to the 40th that ties into some of the top. Yeah, and, yeah and, and some uh, new 
uh, overlaps that I got from listening to, uh, was it Mark, uh, who, who talked about New Haven? Yeah, Mark Palmer, the great Mark Palmer. My family thinks I'm crazy. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because at, at the end of his talk, he said, you were talking about the 42nd parallel. And then he said, yeah, the 42nd. And then I've looked at the 41st. And now here I am talking about the 40th. <laughs> so we're going, you know, so what, uh, so the first thing I have to say is uh, maybe my interest in this is because uh, having been born in New York City, I was born on the 40th parallel, you know, uh, up high, uh, for, you know, uh, uh, clo close to 41. But in, you know, I'm in I'm in the 40 parallel. Uh, but, uh, you know, years ago, a couple of years ago, I had, I had done a lot of uh work with uh, 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 Lauren Coleman and uh, uh, and finding uh, a, well I'll just uh, just mention it back uh, th that uh, I was playing with these uh, latitude lines and longitude lines even and uh, and so that you know I, I periodically uh, you know play with it and uh, but I hadn't done so in 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 you know, since that time, really. Uh, but then I decided on a lark uh, to uh, say, let's look at Skinwalker Ranch and it's, you know, and it's Mormon equivalent. Well, let's go over to Salt Lake City. Uh, and I drew a line and then I said, no, but wait, look at this line between Brigham Young University and Skinwalker Ranch, the triangle. They're 92 miles apart, straight line distance. But they are so close in uh, the latitude is is so precisely close. Uh, BYU is 40 degrees, 15 minutes and eight seconds. And Skinwalker Ranch is 40 degrees, 15 minutes and 25 seconds. They differ by by about 17 seconds. Well, uh, <clears throat> just to do the math here, a degree of latitude is 69.44 miles on the ground. Uh, for a minute, you divide that by 60, and the, the, uh, uh, it's around 1.1 mile. So each minute is, about, is a little bit more than a mile. Uh, and, but each second is about, uh, each second would be about 100 feet, right? So anyway, there was 17. Uh, 1,700 feet difference in 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 the alignment, uh, and that's only like uh, uh, one third of a mile over a distance of 92. That's like a a 99.7 percent precision, and I said they're really you know really close, and so uh, so that got me thinking: uh, is there something to this? <laughs> uh, so I I took the uh, oh, and then uh, I came across, uh, you know, uh, we have to get Chris Knowles in here. Uh, Chris Knowles uh, found on a map that the he drew a line from the World Trade Center west on the 40th parallel. It's a little higher than this, a couple of, you know, many more minutes up. But it, it passed through uh, 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 Crowley's grave or the place where Alistair Crowley's ashes were scattered in uh in new jersey 
And so, so I thought that was, that was interesting. Uh, but then what's, what's uh, you know, after listening to Mark Hampton and, and his talk about the line of, now get this, the line of uh, from Boston to New Orleans, and it includes all these Ivy League colleges, right? Well, we have an intersection here because very close to the BYU Skinwalker Ranch axis is Princeton University. So I found an Ivy League college at the other end of this. Uh, and of course it passes uh, very close by through this is Pittsburgh. And I guess that would include Carnegie Mellon. And I say, well, hey, Chris Mellon, <laughs> latest Mellon figure in ufology uh, or in, in you know, um, and I don't know, uh, around the world, it'll pass through uh, Madrid and uh, very close. Uh, and, and, and it's interesting, Ankara, Turkey is like 39.55 and so is Beijing. <laughs> so they're just on the cusp. So I don't know what that means, but it just uh, fascinated me that the, the line between BYU and Skinwalker Ranch is so precisely... Uh, <laughs> It, you know, uh, it's so uh, uh, precise. Joseph Smith's death also occurred along the 40th parallel. Oh, right? I forgot. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. You, 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 because you told me in is Navuo, Navuo, uh, Illinois. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, in fact, I, I, uh, I got it on an index card here where uh, Carthage. The jail where Joseph Smith was murdered is uh, like 20 miles south uh, southeast of of Navuo, the community that that it, that they founded in 1839. And uh, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the Carthage jail is uh, well, it's about 40 degrees 25 minutes, and. Uh, that would be just 10 miles north of Skinwalker Ranch, you know, so that's fairly close. So, yeah, that's right. They, uh, you got Joe uh, Brigham Young, Skinwalker Ranch. Then in the Midwest, you've got the uh, Joseph Smith's, uh, the, the jail where he was murdered. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then, then you go to Princeton University and, and then, uh, you know, of course, Chris Knowles said, well, you got to get Crowley's ashes in there, too, and the World Trade Center. So, yeah, it is uh, fascinating, though, how it seems to sync up with so much stuff that we're currently experiencing now. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tom, it has uh, been a real pleasure having you on here. Um, <clears throat> and uh, as always, I want to thank you guys uh, for listening and uh, your ongoing support. And on that note, I suppose we shall uh, sign off for now. So with that, I say good night and good luck to you all. Come on, baby, pick me up. Out here in my wiki up. Sick and tired of fucking up. Sick and tired of pushing luck. In it. Swallow what I'm about to spit Don't got 86 from the copper queen for singing this I took it to the gold chain We were raised, my people there, they feeling me Down low skin, roll more characters than Stephen King Said I'm just working at the quarry, y'all I ain't in a hurry, y'all
stick hurt as hot as hell I tell you what Put it up and knock it down Moving on that big around Come on mama jump down Turn around do it for me Stick it out Say one two three Geronimo Jump baby we gotta go Hands tied blindfold Jump into that battle zone I said it's time to get the fuck out Cause they done let the wolves out They're coming with that heat Shooting up the street Mama, fight or fight adrenaline You feel that little tingle in your feet Mama, no retreat Mobilize your whole fleet Hit the street Tell me that you good for it You want peace, go to war for it Say one, two, three, Geronimo Jump, baby, we gotta go Screaming with me Scream, Geronimo Can't patrol it off from Berlin to the Great Wall The greatest walls are bound to fall So legalize it, Vato About the Genghis Chapo Come on, legalize it No need to advertise it The weed cures the cancer Everybody even caught a realized If a farmer don't make cash money When we rock that stash, honey Best believe they sooner take it out your ass, honey Civilization, what? 